Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. Good morning, church. How are we? Awesome. One or two of you are doing fantastic. Uh, if you're between the ages of three and five, uh, right now we can dismiss you, and so you can go ahead and head on out towards the back there. So if you are three, four, or five, go ahead and get up and uh, head to the back there. And this is not a time for you to identify as three, four, or five, uh, but those who are three, four, and five can head out uh, for their class. We're in James chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 19 through 21 as we continue in our series uh, throughout the book of James where it's really just looking at uh, God providing wisdom uh, through James, the half-brother of Jesus, as he is encouraging, admonishing, edifying, instructing uh, the Jewish Christians who were dispersed and scattered throughout uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, kind of those, those areas of um, the first century. And so James 1, 19 through 21 is where we're going to be today. And so we're going to just dive right into it. And so starting in verse 19, it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So let's pray over this word um, as we continue. Father, we pray this morning that this word would be living and active in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, uh, that, it would, that it would transform us. And we know that that is the work that you are doing in our lives as we read your word and as we study it and as we preach it and proclaim it and as we declare it over our lives. Uh, it is doing something in us. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is what does this word do in our lives when it comes to producing uh, several things for us this morning. And so, Father, I pray that we would just avail ourselves this morning to hear your word and to let it speak over our lives, let it condemn some things in our lives, let it declare forgiveness over our lives as well, and let it, again, just transform us and conform us more and more like your son Jesus. For it's him who we are worshiping, it's him who we are becoming like, and it is him who ultimately we submit to as our Lord and Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so right out of the gate, the first thing that I want you to see here, and, and it's not necessarily a first point, really it's more of a prerequisite for what we're going to be looking at today. And it's kind of sandwiched in these verses, 19 through 21, and it's this idea of knowing and receiving the Word of God. That's the prerequisite that we need, is to know and receive the Word of God. You see this in the beginning here, know this, my beloved brothers. And then you see it down in verse 21, receive this with meekness, the implanted Word. And so that's the first observation that we need to take away from this is that James is commanding us. He's instructing us to know this, to receive this, to learn this, to study this, to meditate on it, to memorize it. As it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12, listen to this. This is what he says. Hear, O Israel. That is kind of listen up. 
Know this, what we're about to declare to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And we talked about that a couple of months ago, this idea of what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? What does it mean to worship Him in everything that we do? And he says, these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What he's basically saying here is the, the main word that we're trying to get to you is that your entire life is to be all about the Lord. And that's what the word of God is declaring is that your entire life should be about God and the reason why he's telling us that you should remind yourself about all of those things that God has provided for us is because in Deuteronomy 6.10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to, you, to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care. Like rest. Enjoy all that God has just done for you. I mean, think about it. This is just a huge illustration for God's salvation of the people. All right, It's, it's really not about the promised land. It's really not about the houses that they're going to receive or the food that they're going to be provided or or the, the vineyards and, and, and gardens that they did not plant. It's really not about those things that they receive. It's all just a huge metaphor for the salvation that they are receiving that they did not do themselves. And he's saying, I'm reminding you of these things because take care lest you forget the Lord. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So one thing that James is instructing us here is know this and receive this because at the end of the day, we're just prone to forgetfulness. We're prone to forget the things that the Lord has done and is doing in our lives. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, let me remind you of the gospel in which I preach to you. Let me remind you of something you already know, but yet are prone to forget. Let me remind you of what God is doing every single day in your life. What he's done once and for all for your salvation, for eternity, and what he is continuing to do in that salvation with the word of God on a daily basis. As Deuteronomy instructs, when, how do we know this? How, how do we know and not forget? Well, by making ourselves available to the Word of God as much as possible. By making ourselves available to the Word of God as much as, as possible. As Deuteronomy instructs us, is, when you're in your house, talk about the Lord. Talk about the Word of God. When you go for walks, when you lie down for bed, when you wake up in the morning, spend time in God's Word, reading it and knowing it. Put reminders around your house. Go on Etsy and, and, and buy some hand-lettered wood signs that have Scripture on them. And yes, that's a shameful plug for my wife's business. But put Scripture as the background to your smartphone screen so that when you open it for the hundredth time throughout the day, you're seeing God's Word. 
And it's, and it's ingraining itself in your minds and in your heart. You're availing yourself to the Word of God. That's James's prerequisite for what he's about to teach these Jewish Christians. Know and receive the Word of God because the Word of God is producing some things in your life. This is the why behind the what. Why should I know and receive the Word of God? Why should I be in the Word of God on a daily basis? Because according to James, it is doing three things in your life. The Word of God, and these are the three points. You can go and write them down if you want. Uh, but we're going to hit each one of them. The Word of God, number one, is producing righteousness. The Word of God is producing righteousness. And the big idea here is that the Word of God informs us how to live righteous lives. It does not make us righteous. Only Jesus can do that. All right? The Word of God does not make you righteous. Only Jesus can do that. In His saving work, Jesus is the one who declares you forgiven of sins and declares you righteous by giving you His life, by coming to live inside you. Only Jesus declares you righteous. A better way to say it might be Jesus Christ produces the righteous saving work of God, while the Word of God produces the righteous living work of God. It's the guide. It's what's leading you into this idea of living a life that matches up with Jesus. How do we do that? The Word of God declares that for us. It instructs us how to live these lives. And just like an infant who has all the components and body parts to operate as a human being, they still have to grow into their legs and their arms and their hands and their feet and their mouths. They are fully human, but have to grow and learn how to be human. This is the same for the Christian. When Jesus saves us and forgives us, He declares us righteous. We are at that moment, saints. We are at that moment declared holy ones. Yet, we are now to learn and grow in our new identities. And this is where the Bible comes into play. The Word of God is what leads us to live out our new righteous identity in the form of a righteous life. And James's first instruction for these Jewish Christians to live righteously, this is not the only example of how to live righteously. You see that all throughout the entire Bible. But for James here, one of his first instructions that he gives to these Jewish Christians to live in a righteous way is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So what's the current mantra of our culture? Is it this? No, or is it rather the opposite? Be slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger. I mean, I feel like if you were to just sign on to Facebook, like that should be the notice that you get when you sign on is that you're going to interact with people who are slow to hear, or uh, quick to, slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger. Proceed with caution. Like that's what Facebook should tell us because that's what our society is operating in right now. That's how they think. That's why relative moralism is such a danger because what it is stating is that I don't need to hear your side of things because my opinion, my worldview is all that matters, and if you disagree with it, then I'm allowed to judge you with anger. I mean, that's how we operate right now as a culture. 
I don't need to hear you out. And if I give you a little bit and I start to see that you're disagreeing with me, I'm going to be quick to shut you down. And not only that, but I'm going to judge you with anger. I'm going to unfriend you or I'm going to bad talk you or whatever it looks like. I'm going to disown you. And unfortunately, that's not the way God has ordered the world to function, nor is it how he is reordering the world through the gospel. So God provides us a better way. And here's how the word of God informs us to live a life of righteousness. Hear each other out. Hear each other out. Listen to others. Listen to one another. Listen to what others have to say and listen to all that they have to say. All that they have to say. Don't interrupt them because you're ready with three points and an illustration. Like, Be good listeners. That's what the Bible is instructing us through the gospel of Jesus Christ to be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Listen, I'm not, I'm not nervous about having my mind changed by hearing people out. I'm not nervous about having my mind changed by hearing them out because at the end of the day, my mind is not made up of my own thoughts and opinions. That sounds weird. My mind is not made up by my own thoughts and opinions. Rather, I've simply adopted or received the thoughts and opinions of God from the Word of God that are not going to change. As a believer of Jesus Christ, I am trusting in Jesus' thoughts and opinions. I'm placing all of my weight of my worldview on what Jesus says it should be. Because there are things that based on my experience and my upbringing and the, the, the interactions that I've had with people in society, there are views and thoughts and opinions that I have been molded and shaped in that do have inconsistency with what the Word of God is declaring over us. And so those things I have to put away and let the Word of God shape me and mold me based on what God says is a right view of the world around us and a right view of others and a right view of how we are to live in such a way that glorifies and honors Him. So I'm not worried about having my mind changed. Because at the end of the day, if someone asks me, what's your opinion on X, Y topic? I'm going to say, well, I might have personal opinions, but at the end of the day, my personal opinions, I hope, are matching up with the opinions that are found in Scripture. And so I want to look to see what Scripture has to say about this. Because I care more about what God's thought is in this regard rather than ever anything that I think of myself. And I'm hoping that as I'm growing in my relationship with Christ and as I'm growing as a believer in Jesus, that those two things are aligning more. And it's not that I'm pulling his to align with mine. It's that he's pulling mine to align with his. That's important. In addition to developing your listening skills, James is encouraging us to be wise with our words. Be slow to speak. Proverbs 10, 19 wisely states, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. By transgression, he means sin. When words are many, sin is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That is just patiently wise. 
Have you ever met a person who doesn't let you get a word in? Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Like by the end of the conversation, your mind is just exhausted from them talking about themselves. The Bible calls that sin. It calls it sin. We can never get to know someone else if we are doing all of the talking. Think about that. This demands you develop the skill of self-awareness and a bit of communication skills. One phrase we often use for cultivating a gospel-centered community within our church is we want you to know and be fully known by others. Like, like that's, that's a part of gospel community, is to know and be fully known by others. If you only focus on the being known by others, then you've missed out on half the idea of biblical community. You need to know others. Know their story, know their interests, know what they're going through in their life rather than you being the only one who's talking about yourself. To live righteously is as Paul describes in Philippians 2, 3 through 4 when he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. When you speak to another person, think about how they benefit from the conversation. How do they benefit from the conversation? Another way to put it is, how do they experience you? When you're interacting with someone, how do they experience you? That's a good diagnostic question to think of. I love what Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Do people receive your words like honey? I, and I love honeycomb cereal. Uh, when you speak to me, I'd like to uh, be experiencing it as if I'm eating just a bowl of honeycomb cereal. All right? And think about it in that way. Like when you're, when you're talking to someone, is it, are they enjoying it? Are they enjoying it by the words that you have to say? The few words that you have to say. Here's a diagnostic question. Is, is the reason why you talk too much because you're trying to be cool and find acceptance still? I know I was talking to Jordan earlier today. He, he just, I'm aging you, I'm sorry. But he, he just had his 10-year um, reunion in school. And, and we were kind of talking like there's... There's still, even at that 10-year reunion, this idea of cliques getting together and people interacting with one another based on this idea of like wanting them to validate you or accept you or think that you are awesome or whatever it looks like. And, and at the end of the day, like that's just sinful. It's just sinful. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Like, you want to be cool? You want to be accepted? Restrain your words. Be wise with your words. Listen when necessary and speak when necessary with words that are pleasing both to the Lord and to those who are listening. If we don't know this, if we don't pursue this, we may fall into the temptation of sinful speech, as Psalm 36.3 describes. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. I mean, you see how the, the word we receive 
transforms the word in which we speak. And at the end of the day, it's going to land in two categories. You're either going to be wise or a fool. You're either going to be wise in speaking good words of truth that, are, that others enjoy, or you're going to be foolish in speaking words that are evil and deceitful, and no, and no one's going to enjoy that. If you're receiving anything that is outside of the word of God, it's going to land in one category. But if what you're knowing and receiving as your ultimate absolute truth is the word of God in your life, it's going to transform you to be a wise person who speaks wise words. And others are going to receive those like honey. And it's going to be good. And that's why all of our resolutions should be, as Psalm 19.14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So one way the word of God is producing in us a righteous lifestyle is by training us to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And the second point is that the Word of God produces repentance. The Word of God is producing repentance in our lives. Verse 20, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, as a Christian, and what that means is little Christ. It was, kind of, uh, it was actually in first century a derogatory term that the secular society referred to as kind of mocking. Look at these little Christs running around. Christian. There is a way to live that is righteous and Christ glorifying. And then there is a way to live that is unrighteous and sinful. And one of the areas we are growing in is the work of training ourselves training our minds, training our hearts, training our bodies to daily repent. Stop sinning, or as this passage instructs us, to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. I love what John Owen said in his book, Overcoming Sin and Temptation. He has this to say, Do you mortify? And what that means is to subdue or to restrain. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. As a Christian, one of the desires of a Christian is to hate sin and kill it. And so what's the first practical step to killing sin in your life? It's confessing it. It's confessing it. Listen to what the Apostle John has to say about it. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He, referring to God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do you clean a child that has been playing outside in the mud? You wash them with clean and pure water. That's what you do. You wash them with clean and pure water. When we confess our filthiness, God is faithful to wash us by the blood of Jesus Christ, to cleanse us from all of our sins, our filthiness, our rampant wickedness, whatever it looks like, by His mercy and His grace. He's faithful to do it. Paul tells young Titus in Titus 2, 11 through 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's, that's amazing. I, I mean, that's that's what we declare the gospel is. The grace of God has appeared and it has brought salvation for all people. It's also doing something else. Not only has it forgiven you, but that grace that has appeared in verse 12 is also training us 
to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's not only helping you to repent of sin, but it's also helping to train you in the righteous living that he's called us to do. We confess sin to God. That's why we offer a time of confession almost every Sunday because we want to develop and train you to not only confess on Sundays, but to confess daily. And this confessing daily is not for your salvation. You're saved. You're forgiven. The daily confession is for the training in righteousness and the throwing off of anything that is ungodly and unrighteous. Because as we are just like little infants who are working out our salvation, who are growing in our new identity, there's going to be a couple of steps and a fumble and a couple of steps and a fumble. Because we're working it out. We're growing in it. We're not going to do it perfectly and we're not going to do it perfectly until we're eventually glorified. But what we are doing on a daily basis is looking at our lives, observing our lives, and being able to see where are we still wrestling with some filthiness and rampant wickedness and how can we cast it off, how can we put it away and trust this new identity that we have so that we can live it out on a daily basis. Well, the Word of God is doing that for us. The Word of God is revealing the filthiness in our life, and the Word of God is revealing the righteousness that we can walk in as we are walking in step with the Spirit of God. That's why we offer confession. I love what John Owen again says, Sin is tenacious, but by God's grace, we can hate it and hunt it. We can hate it and hunt it. I love that. The more you love Christ, the more you will hate sin and you will seek it out, not for pleasure, but you will seek it out to hunt it and kill it, to put it away from your life. So that's the second point. The Word of God produces repentance, and that leads to my final point. The Word of God produces restoration. The Word of God produces restoration. Listen to this, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, for sure, this is talking about saving your souls in the eternal sense where we are declared forgiven, we are declared righteous, we are forever adopted into the family of God. Absolutely, that's what it is talking about. But it is also representing a saving of your soul in the present sense or daily sense, as it brings about the redeeming and refreshing of your souls. Listen to Acts 3, 19 through 20. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That's salvation. Verse 20. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent, put away your filthiness, stop sinning by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior once and for all, and that will bring about times of refreshing now that you are in the presence of Him. Here's the truth. Sin destroys and decays. That's what it does. God's grace and His presence in your life is bringing about life and increasing wholeness, well-being, and refreshing Again, look back at Titus chapter 2. 
verses 11 through 14 as we complete it out here. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. You're saved. It's training you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It's producing in you repentance. And it's also training you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's the producing of righteousness in your life. Verse 13, while we are waiting for our blessed hope. Our lives now experience hope when we were once hopeless. And hope is a refreshing thing, is it not? I mean, has there ever been a moment that you're experiencing a situation and you feel hopeless in that situation? And then something happens that helps get you out of that situation and that now newfound hope that you have that you're going to get through it allows you to breathe, allows you to be refreshed in that moment. That's what the Lord is doing, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, listen to this, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify, this is that idea of redeeming and cleansing, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, zealous for good works. He's restoring us and purifying us, which causes us to be zealous for God and for His work. It's like you've experienced for the first time a vacation or a day at the spa or a good night's sleep. And when I talk about vacation, I'm not referring to like a vacation where you then need a vacation from that vacation. I'm saying like a true restful vacation. This is what we are experiencing in the Lord that after we've experienced this and we wake up or we come back refreshed and filled with this sense of zeal or passion and fervency and eagerness to pursue Jesus and to pursue the work that he has called us to. The word of God is producing restoration. It's producing godly ambition within you. A newfound dedication, a newfound desire that used to not be there, that's now there, to live lives that are righteous and holy. Not in a smug kind of way, but in a humble way, because we know ultimately that is, this is not our efforts that actually grow us, but it is the work of God and His Word in our lives, that this is what it's producing in us on a daily basis. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, 6, when Paul said, I planted, I did some work, Apollos watered, he did some work, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. What we are doing on a weekly basis, we are planting and watering the seed of the gospel and God's word in you, week after week, through songs, through prayer, through preaching, through district equipped, through uh, institute classes, through all kinds of different things. All we are doing is trying to know and receive the Word of God. That's it. Like That's the, the number one job of the church of Jesus Christ in making much of Jesus is getting His Word out. Getting His Word out. The good news of the Gospel. How do we know what the good news of the Gospel is? What does the Bible say it is? Getting the gospel, getting the Bible into you, getting 
the point to where we know and have received the word of God so that God then, as we are planting and watering, God is giving growth to us by producing in us righteousness and repentance and restoration for our lives. So as James instructs us today, he's telling us to know this word and receive it daily as you read it when you wake up as you memorize it from the screensaver of your smartphone, as you meditate on it through prayer and stillness, as you consider it and wrestle with it through community discussion, know it and receive the implanted word of God in your lives because God is using it. God is using it. It will never return void. It will never return void. Every time you read a scripture, every time you memorize a verse, you may not see it immediately, but God is taking that word as it is planted in your mind and in your heart and in your soul, and He is sprouting it, and He is literally forming you into Jesus Christ Himself. Your thoughts become His thoughts. Your words become His words. Your compassion becomes His compassion. All of these things are flowing out so that as people experience you, they're tasting the honey, the sweetness of Jesus. Of Jesus. Rest in the work of our good shepherd, Jesus. As Psalm 23, 1 through 3 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In Christ I have all that I need. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. And therefore, the desires of the things of the world, man, they fade. They fade. In Christ, I have all that I need. I'm not going to look for anything else. Therefore, I can repent of those things. I can throw them off because I now see that I don't need them. I can see that they, they don't taste as great as I thought they tasted. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He is my shepherd. I shall not want anything else. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's restoring my soul. That's what he's doing. He's making me lie down. He's going to make you rest. And he's going to lead you beside still waters. And those, those still waters might be in the midst of a storm. Who knows? But he's going to lead you in times of peace and refreshing and restoration. And he's also leading you in paths of righteousness. His word that he has sent out to us is leading us in paths of righteousness. And it's all for you? No. It's all for his namesake. For his namesake. As we grow in the gospel and as we become more and more like Jesus, the renown of our life will be he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. That also changes the way that we look out at others. I'm going to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And when it's appropriate and necessary for me to speak, I will speak. I'm going to be speaking on behalf of the Lord, not my own thoughts or opinions. And whatever those words that I do speak out, man, they're going to be so saturated and and so marinated in the Word of God that whoever is listening are going to be receiving life. Life. 
Because that's what the Word of God is providing for us. And so we thank Jesus. We thank Jesus for what He's doing. And we look to the cross for ultimately the work that He has accomplished. I mean, we talk about someone who was quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I mean, think about the cross. Jesus had every right to come and be slow to hear. You're a bunch of sinners. I don't need to hear what your side of things. You're a bunch of sinners. You've, you've broken every law that we've given you. You, you don't love my father. You, you, you don't love me. You don't know me. He had every right to come and just declare word after word after word after word condemnation over us. He had every right just to come with righteous anger and just annihilate every single one of us. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. Instead, he practiced what he preaches. And he came and he was quick to hear. This is their situation. Father, do not hold this over them, but forgive them. We are listening to their situation. They're sinners in need of a Savior. And we're here responding by providing the only option for them. And that is not exercising our holy anger and righteousness or wrath against them. But instead, let's put it on Jesus at the cross, giving them an opportunity for life and forgiveness. And so as we enter into this time of communion, this is what we are proclaiming is saying, thank you, Jesus, for not holding over us what we are condemned by, our sin. And thank you, Jesus, that, that you were quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And you were patient. You were patient. And in your patience, you took our sins and placed them upon yourself. And you died. You took the wrath of God and you died. So that we have the opportunity to receive the good news, to receive the word of God as it is going forth. And every single one of us in this room who proclaim this, who, who are team Jesus, you're here because somebody in your life was quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. They listened to your story. And when it was necessary, they spoke into your story the need that you had, which was Jesus Christ. And it was received like the sweetness of honey. And Jesus tastes so good. And so as we partake of this communion this morning, we want to receive it in that, in that way. Let the, let the bread as stale and, and non-flavorful as it is, let it be sweet like honey. And let the juice be sweet like honey. As we think of Jesus and what he has done for us. And then as we leave from this place today, let us just remember 
that the Word of God, as we know it and receive it, and as we ingrain our lives into it on a daily basis, it's producing some things in us. God's using it to make us more righteous in our living. It's also allowing us to understand better how to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And it's also just helping us find times of refreshing as he's leading us beside still waters. So let's be encouraged by that today. I want you to go ahead and stand. And if you don't have the elements, I want you to go ahead and go back and and grab them. As you come back to your seats, we're going to then pray over these elements and pray for just our hearts and our minds this morning. As we receive this word, as we receive this communion, these elements, as we receive Jesus, may we receive him like the sweetness of honey this morning. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, I pray that as we partake of this communion this morning, that this is a moment for us to receive the implanted word of God. We receive Jesus. We receive it like the sweetness of honey. And that it matures us and takes us a step further in our righteousness. It's growing us. It also is is increasing that desire in us to hate sin and to hunt it and kill it in our lives. And that it's also bringing times of refreshing. It's restoring our soul. Feel that right now in this moment. Let let there just be a sense of peace come over our anxious hearts and our anxious minds. Whatever it is that we're dealing with right now, let us be encouraged by what your word is doing in our lives. And let us remember Jesus now because we are so prone to forget what he has done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at